Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just want to lift up especially Brother Mike as he preaches. I pray, God, that you would anoint him, give him him vision, Lord. Give him understanding what to say, and just bless him now with peace in his heart and vision and passion. And the rest of us also, Lord, just wake us up. Wake us up physically if we need that, but especially wake us up spiritually and help us to walk wholeheartedly, passionately for you, seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. Just let this service, this message, be a step in that direction. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Amen. I like that. Let our meeting be a step in the right direction in God's kingdom. Amen. That's good. Well, I have... uh, pondering, chewing on recent messages and things about recent messages, especially here a few weeks ago, Brother Bob preached on uh, desires and what we desire and who we desire. And I've also been, I can't, I kind of come back around a little bit. Sometimes I chew on a little story that Brother Glenn shared about the Mennonite lady on her deathbed and saying, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be all right. I was, I've been a good Mennonite, and uh, I know where I'm going." And and I think, oh, man, that's not what is going to cut it. And uh, and so I've been pondering these things and, and chewing on these things, and I I, uh, I confess. <clears throat> And I think probably most everybody knows this. A lot of the messages that I've shared here are things that I've shared other places, a lot of them in Wyoming. And you can say that's kind of cheating, and I can say maybe so, but I don't care. I'm going to share them anyway there. And, <laughs> and so I've been pondering what to do next and thinking, is this, Lord, am I just copping out or... But in light of the things I've been hearing and chewing on, I think, no, this is a good direction. It, 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 God desires for His children to know Him intimately. He didn't desire to restore fellowship with people just so that he could teach them sound theology. Now that's not, please don't take that wrong. That's a part of knowing him. What is the truth? What is dear to his heart? But it is indeed even deeper than that. It's that we could have intimate fellowship restored with him. He longs for that way more than we do. You know, when, when, uh, when Adam and Eve fell, God came calling. Now, you could say he asked the question, Adam, where are you? Well, he, God knows everything. He knew where he was. He knew what he'd done. Of course, he knows all those things. But he was relating to Adam on his level and saying, Adam, where are you? And he's in his heart. I think... I think his heart was crushed and exceedingly broken. I think it was an anguished heart that was crying out, Adam, not just where are you? What have you done? What have you done? I have no choice now. God had to bring forth judgment. Because He's holy. And He is truth. He is all those things. But His heart was just crushed. When Jesus hung on the cross, God the Father forsook Him and He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Don't think for a minute that God, He turned His back on him. Jesus wouldn't have cried that out if it hadn't happened. I, I hear some people say, well, it really didn't happen. I don't buy that. 
the gospel was exceedingly painful for God. Don't think that it wasn't. But it was the only way that he could restore our fellowship with him. But he turned his back. I want to ask him, when we get there, what were you doing? You turned your back on your beloved son. What was going through your mind? It would blow us away, I'm sure. So these are the things that are going through my mind as I ponder. Okay, well, what do I share next? Where do we go next? And I shared, oh, some years ago. I want to say right around 2006, somewhere in there. Obviously, we were in Cheyenne, Wyoming at the time. And uh, I went through a little book. I, I started off, I remember starting off just kind of just looking for something to share to the congregation there. I was preaching about every other week and uh, just searching, asking God, give me something to share with these people. And uh, I had a little book that Brother Ken Lowry had given to me. And I believe 2006, he would have been going through chemotherapy at that time. He was sick. He almost died twice because of chemo. He came very close. He was sick. And he gave me this book. I don't, maybe some of you, I, I'd be almost a little surprised if some of you have not read this book. It's a book by a man named Philip Keller. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Anybody ever read it? Have you read it, Roger? Okay. Well, just one. Well, that, that, that makes me feel a little better. So this will be new for some of you. Now, obviously, the 23rd Psalm is not new to everybody. It's probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the world. My guess would probably be John 3.16, and probably almost anybody and everybody could probably quote. And which, amen, that's good. That's, it's, it's just a matter of it sinking in to someone's heart. And I think, of, well, the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, people know that one. <clears throat> but uh, the 23rd Psalm is another one that is going to rank up there pretty high. But... You know, I don't know that I've, I've really ever heard much of a, a message or a sermon on that psalm. And I've got probably a whole bunch here to share just on that psalm here. So if you bear with me as we go through this next year or so. Um, but it, uh, man, if you sit down and I challenge you just to just, just go through it slowly. A half a verse at a time, maybe. Or a third of a verse at a time. There's a lot of depth. A lot of insight in here. And this is a man who was a shepherd. He raised sheep. Okay, so he's got that insight and those illustrations to share with us and how they relate to us as sheep. God calls us sheep. And yes, we all know sheep aren't very smart. And yes, that's a little humbly. But that's who that's not what people compare us to, that's who God compares us to. Now we have to if you don't like it, you've got to take it up with him, not with anybody else. But there's a lot of beautiful illustrations. Kind of Hartman's kind of gruesome ones as, he's, as this man is caring for his sheep. And he ponders things in Psalm 23. It's very insightful. So I'm looking forward to stepping forward here and looking at this. But, um, you know, my, my heart's desire and... Well, for all of us, but I, I, I think of our young people, again, is that you know Him intimately. You have more than just a nice, conservative Christian upbringing. 
and you have a nice shirt and a nice dress that you wear to church on Sundays, and you you, you look good and and uh, you you know good sound te- you've had good sound teaching. You you've had a lot more biblical teaching in your upbringing than I ever got. I've had to go through a whole lot of reprogramming and rereading and you know having my mind renewed theologically, doctrinally, conviction-wise uh, compared to, to what I had. That's okay. I'm grateful for that. And I'm not done, by all means. I won't be done till I die. Um, but you've had a lot of good, sound, biblical teaching. Be grateful for that. However, if that's all you get, if that's all you grasp out of your upbringing, and you don't grab a hold of Jesus Christ Himself, your lovely, holy Savior who loves you, who is your shepherd, then you've missed it. Yeah, you can talk to your mom and dad. They're going to tell you, we want you to, to know Him. And that's what will carry you through the difficult times. That's what will carry you through the times when you're tempted and challenged and weary and wore out. Is knowing Him intimately. That relationship, that intimate relationship that you have with Him. That's what we long for. And there's been a lot of parents throughout uh, the, the movement over the last know, 40 years uh, when Denny and Moe started Charity Christian Fellowship there. And there uh, have been a lot, lot of us that feel like we missed it a lot with our children. And, man, what did we do wrong, you know? And, uh, and I don't know. I, don't have, I still don't have a lot of answers for all that. But I just want to share a little bit of my heart burden with you as an older brother, as a dad. Uh, that our heart is that you, you grab a hold of Him personally. And you love Him personally. And you live for Him and determine in your heart you're going to die for Him someday. So that's my heart behind what I want to share. So that you can say from the depths of your heart, the Lord is... My shepherd. Not just our. He's my shepherd. And I love him. And I adore him. And worship him. That's what we long for. Okay. Obviously, let's let's, let's turn to Psalm 20. Let's just read it. Psalm 23. You've heard me share stories about my grandma Ruth. Some pretty funny ones. She was a. We were singing songs about heaven today, and I have to confess, I was thinking, who am I, besides the Lord Jesus Himself, who am I looking forward to seeing in heaven? And I. She's one of those right at the top. She was a pistol, spitfire, full of life, and spunky, I guess would be a good word for. For my grandma. Um, but when she was on her deathbed, I, I, this was at her funeral. <clears throat> Pastor Penhollow, he was old back then, he's gone home to be with the Lord by now for sure. He was a pastor in Powell Butte, or you may know where, where Powell Butte is there. It's between Prineville and Redmond. If you blink, you'll miss it. The first Christian church there in, in Powell Butte, there. A lot of a lot of moment history there, you might say. But he he was doing the the graveside service there in Prineville for my grandmother, and he was sharing as he was beside her during her last moments, and he was admitting he was just kind of fumbling and bumbling and trying to find something to say of comfort and that kind of thing. And he said, in his loss of words, he said one of the doctors at the Redmond Hospital there walked in. A young doctor, 
Dr. Cross was his name. He came in and just kind of took over and started reading the 23rd Psalm. And that the pastor was saying that it ministered to him and it blessed him that somebody came along to help him during this time when someone very loved is dying and close to death. And he read this psalm. And then Pastor Penhallow at my grandma's funeral began to quote Psalm 23 there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in... Sorry. In green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Psalm of David. David, as you know, I think most all of you know, he was a shepherd. He, he, you know, obviously he's not writing this from his own. He's writing this, you know, from the experience of being a shepherd. But obviously he's declaring the Lord is his shepherd. He's the sheep in this psalm. He's admitting that by admitting that God is his shepherd. He's admitting he's a sheep. I need a shepherd. I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. And uh, but he could relate because he was a shepherd. Uh, let's, so let's take a look at a few verses, and then I'm going to go through chapter 1 here, read and comment and such. First um, Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. You know, we're... we're Stepping up and leading up to the uh, the time when David kills Goliath, but he's got to get chosen first. Samuel went to Jesse and looked at all of his boys and and you know looking for a king to replace King Saul, and he went through. All the boys there except David, and he said, "No, no, 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 not this one." And he said, "Don't you have? Do you have any more?" Well, I got one more. He's out watching the sheep. Well, bring him here. And he brought him in, and he knew that's the man. Verse eleven out of First uh, Samuel sixteen, and Samuel said unto Jesse, "Are are here all thy children?" And he said, "Well, there remaineth." Yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So he was watching the sheep. He was a shepherd. He keepeth the sheep. Now skip over to uh, the next chapter, chapter 17. And let's look at verse 29. And Goliath is mocking the children of Israel. And everybody's afraid. And we can't beat Goliath. He's too big. That's my little paraphrase there. And verse 29 says, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. 
Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So there we see David as a shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, how many of you here, including myself, if you were a shepherd watching sheep and you saw a mountain lion go after, and I say that because we've seen them here in the valley. They're here. They roam around. And, and uh, how many of us would uh, get up and run after that thing and, and try to grab me with your bare hands? I confess, I would look and say, well, that sheep is gone. <laughs> that's, I, that's, I'm just being honest here. <laughs> that one, well, uh, too bad. The mountain lion's going to have a nice meal. But that wasn't David. And, and of course, God was, God was giving us a picture of himself through David. Right here, we, have, we know that, we can see that, that this is the kind of shepherd Jesus is. Thank the Lord. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. Spiritually and some of us physically. <clears throat> but David was a shepherd. There's the story of it right there. <clears throat> and he was a picture of God being a shepherd. Okay. Let's go over to Psalm 80 now. We're going to look at God being a shepherd. A few verses here. And then we're going to look at a few verses that picture us as sheep. Psalm 80. Back up a little bit here. Our printer is not working. And so I'm doing the old-fashioned style. Flipping back and forth. You know. We get spoiled with this technology. Even this, these old fuddy-duddies, country bumpkin boys here, we get spoiled and our printer's not working. So I couldn't print off the verses and just go through them real quick, you know. So we'll have to just do the old-fashioned way and thumb through our Bibles. That's okay. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. With that first verse, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Who is the shepherd of Israel? He's the one that dwells between the cherubim. Gives a picture of majesty right there. As well as a shepherd. It's beautiful. Okay, over to Hebrews now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. There's, I, there's, you know, obviously I'm not going to hit every verse, every passage here that's applicable. We're going to hit some of them. Some of them are already well known. Those out of John 10 and such. We'll be there just a second. But Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Hebrews 13, 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd. He's called not just a shepherd, but the great shepherd. Amen. I love that. Okay, John chapter 10. 
familiar passage here. John 10, starting at verse 11. Now we're looking at God as a shepherd. And uh, verse 11, Jesus himself speaking here, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And he did. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus, the good shepherd, he lays down his life. He has laid down his life for us sheep. So therefore, he is and can call himself the good shepherd. The good one. Not, Not the fake one, not the phony one, who may think of himself as one, but when times get rough... He runs and the sheep get scattered and it's a mess, basically. But Jesus is the good shepherd. All right, one more passage of of God himself being the shepherd back in Isaiah. Keep your finger there in John 10. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Going to go to Isaiah for a few passages, passages. Isaiah 40. In verse 10, read 10 and 11, Isaiah 40, in verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm." And carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Well, that's a beautiful picture of a good shepherd. Man, if you ever get to wondering, where's God? He's saying right here, I'm holding you right in my arms, dear sheep, little lamb. I've got you right here. It's okay. It might be scary and windy and stormy out there, and you may not understand what's going on. But you got to know something. I've got you right here. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. That's a great and precious promise that we have. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the great shepherd. The good shepherd. Nothing. Magnificent gospel God has given to us. With a great and precious, uh, precious promise. You can come to me and be cleansed. And be forgiven and become my child and my sheep. And then the devil will not be able to take you away from me. Man. You can't get a better deal than that. You won't find another religion out there. That can claim these great and precious promises. Man-made religions. You've got to do something. To prove to God, whoever he is, that you're worth hanging on to. Friends, there's nothing we can do to earn favor. Not a thing. But he's got these wonderful promises. You come to me, I will wash you and cleanse you. All you have to offer him is your sin. He says, I can take care of that. And you can be mine. And I will hold you. 
and keep you. Oh, man. It's beautiful. Now, God is our shepherd. Now let's look at ourselves as sheep. Saying in Isaiah, go over to 53. You know this passage. Another well, very well-known passage. Isaiah 53. And it says, all we like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. What does that say? It says, sheep have a tendency to want to go astray. You say, well, that sounds like human nature. It sure does. We have a tendency to want to go astray. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't want to come to the light. It's, it's our nature. We want to hide because we know we're guilty. <clears throat> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, that very tendency to want to go astray. God put that on His own Son. Okay, back over to John 10. We'll read some of the first few verses here now. Where we look at ourselves as being sheep. <clears throat> John 10 verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus talking again, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Yeah, okay, I'm in the right spot. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, man, that's obviously he's looking at us, and we, he's calling us about three or four times there, sheep. But he's talking about his sheep, my sheep, the ones that are mine, the ones that he has saved. They know His voice. Now, a big test throughout everyone's life is, will you continue to walk with Him day by day by day by day so that you can, can continue to hear His voice as He leads so that you can follow His voice? If we start to neglect If we start to give in to complacency and laziness, we run the risk of not being able to hear His voice as good as we once did. And if that continues, you're going to hear His voice a little bit less and a little bit less. See, we have great and precious promises and nobody can snatch us out of the hand of the King of Kings. <clears throat> But he didn't say that we have the ability to walk out of his hand if we want to. We can if we want to. We still have a free will. But if you remain close by his side and foster that intimate relationship with him, he gives a promise here. You'll hear my voice. I will lead you. I'll show you where to go. I'll show you what to do. I'll speak to you. You'll know my voice. You know, you've heard the illustration of the people that they train to pick out counterfeit money. What do they do? They study the real stuff. They know it like the back of their hand. Okay? They don't study counterfeit money. They study real money. What's real? And they know it so well that when counterfeit comes through, they can pick it up and say, nope, that's fake. This is what's real. Same thing. If we know Him and walk with Him and we know His Word and we hear His voice, we'll be able to pick out 
the voice of the enemy when he tries to lure us away. We'll know. He'll give you that discernment. Read uh, Proverbs chapter 2. He'll give you that discernment that we're, you're going to need, we're all going to need to make it through. So there's, there's not a reason to be afraid unless you're walking astray. Then you ought to be afraid. Okay. First Peter two. First Peter chapter two and verse twenty five. He says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Praise the Lord. Okay. I'm going to, like I said, do some reading here and then just through the first chapter. And it's entitled, The Lord is My Shepherd. That's all we're going to get through today. The Lord is My Shepherd. The first half of the first verse. The Lord. But who is the Lord? What is his character? Does he have adequate credentials to be my shepherd, my manager, my owner? And if he does, how do I come under his control? In what way do I become the object of his concern and diligent care? One of the calamities of Christianity is our tendency to talk in ambiguous generalities. David, the author of the poem, himself a shepherd and the son of a shepherd, later to be known as the shepherd king of Israel, stated explicitly, the Lord is my shepherd. He referred to Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel. His statement was confirmed by Jesus the Christ. When he was God incarnate amongst men, he declared emphatically, I am the good shepherd. Who is this Christ, though? Our view of him is often too small, too cramped, too provincial, too human. And because it is, we feel unwilling to allow him to have authority or control, much less outright ownership of our lives. It's a good point there he makes. <clears throat> Tozer wrote in the 50s. Back then, 50, 60, or 60 years ago. He said back then the church's view of God is too small. We've lost our lofty view of God, he said. He said that to the church in the 50s. What would he say now? He it was who was directly responsible for the creation of all things, both natural and supernatural. If we pause to reflect on the person of Christ and on his power and upon his achievements, suddenly, like David, we will be glad to state proudly, the Lord, he is my shepherd. But before we do this, it helps to hold clearly in mind the particular part played upon our history by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God the author, the originator of all that exists. It was in his mind first that all took shape. God the Son, our Savior, is God the artisan, the artist, the creator of all that exists. He brought it into being, into being all that had been originally formulated in his Father's mind. God the Holy Spirit is God the agent who presents these facts to both my mind and my spiritual understanding so that they become both real and relative to me as an individual. Now, the beautiful relationships given to us repeatedly in Scripture between God and man are those of a father to his children and a shepherd to his sheep. That is so very true. There, I, I tell you, I, I mean, I, I thought I knew the Lord before I became a father. And when I became a parent, man, did God ever begin to expand my view of my relationship to him as he being my father and me being his child. And I know I know all your parents say the same thing. Oh yeah. Just it was amazing the similarities. God designed families and parents and 
marriages on purpose. He knew what he was doing. He really did. Many times, and through all six of my children, you think, you know, you'd get everything learned, maybe the first two, you know. Well, I, I'm still learning with my youngest things that I didn't see before that God desires to show. And he, and he delights in showing these things to his children. So you young people, when you, you just wait. You just wait. When you start having a family... God will really begin to open up your eyes. And it will be beautiful. It, it is lovely. And uh, it, you'll, you'll learn to love Him more and cherish Him more and understand Him more. It's, it's just marvelous. These concepts were first conceived in the mind of God our Father. They were made possible and practical through the work of Christ. They are confirmed and made real in me through the agency of the gracious Holy Spirit. So when the simple, though sublime, statement is made by a man or a woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between a human being and his maker. Let me read that one more time. When the simple, though sublime, statement is made by a man or a woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between a human being and his maker. Amen. This thought alone should stir my spirit, quicken my own sense of awareness, and lend enormous dignity to myself as an individual to think that God in Christ is deeply concerned about me as a particular person immediately gives great purpose and enormous meaning to my short sojourn upon this planet. If there's anything the devil wants you to believe, is that you don't count. You're not significant. That's a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the devil. You can find all security and all love and meaning and everything about your life, your life, in the person of Christ. He loves you. Oh, He loves you. Don't. Lose that truth. Sometimes that's all you have to hang on to. To get through some of the deepest, darkest seasons in your life. But you hang on to that because it's true. Don't believe the devil when he tries to convince you. You're no good for nothing. You don't mean anything. That's a lie. The Lord is... Your shepherd. He is. And he delights in being your shepherd. He loves being your shepherd. Have you read there in Psalm four, uh, Isaiah 40? He loves to hold you, little lamb. Don't ever forget that. And the greater, the wider, the more majestic my concept is of the Christ, the more vital will, my, will be my relationship to him. Amen. Beautiful. After all, he knew from firsthand experience that, that the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. Some men were gentle, kind, intelligent, brave, and selfless in their devotion to their stock. Under one man, sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. In another's care, there would flourish and thrive contentedly. You know, I, I uh, as you know, I grew up on a little farm there. My dad raised a small herd of black Angus cows. It was a small 50 cows. And they'd have calves over here. And he had, you know, a few bulls. And, uh, and I, I think about this. Now, you say, well, that's not a lot. Well, no, it's not. But... My dad was a busy... Farmers are busy people. Okay? We, we, we know that here. Farmers are busy people. Especially in the summertime. He's cutting hay and baling hay and he'd grow some wheat or some barley here and there, a little bit of grain here and there. And he's watching over his cows. And uh, every now and then he'd call me and say, I need your help. We need to get this cow in. She's got pink eye. And, uh, yeah, cows, cows get pink eye. 
And uh, so we, all right, fine, Dad, I'll help you out. We'd come in, we'd chase her through, the, get her in the squeeze chute, you know, squeeze her down, pin her head down so she could, he could squirt the medicine in her eye. And when I think about that, I think, you know, you, you don't just notice that. I mean, if, if I'm just walking through a herd of cows, and I did. I walked through this herd of cows. I, I didn't notice anybody having pain. I didn't look. But my dad, as I think, I, man, that's impressive. He knew the condition of his cows. Yes, that was his life. That was his business. That was his livelihood. Well, there's a similarity right there. He, he was taking care of his cows for his own glory, if you will, his business. That's why God takes care of us as his sheep. He gets honor when his sheep are healthy. He takes care of them when they're sick. He knows when they're sick, just like my dad knew. And he will watch over you and care for you. Now, you may not like the squeeze chute he sticks you in. I don't like it when he sticks me in one. But I, it's for my good. It's for your good. If the Lord is my shepherd, I should know something of his character and understand something of his ability. He talks about going outside and looking up at the stars. Here's an interesting little thing. Now, this was written in 1970, 50 years ago. The Hubble uh, telescope was not in space back then. They were just barely getting on the moon back when, when this book was written. But they still have pretty powerful telescopes. Now, it, well, I'll just read this to you. <clears throat> Maybe, if I can find it. I recall that the planet Earth, which is my temporary home for a few short years, is so minute a speck of matter in space that if it were possible to transport our most powerful telescope to our nearest neighbor star, what they call Alpha Centauri, and look back this way, the Earth could not be seen, even with the aid of of that powerful instrument. Now, with today's telescopes, I don't know. But nevertheless, the point is, we're nothing here on this earth. Take the most powerful telescope on earth, put it out to the closest star to us, the closest one, and then turn that telescope around and try to find earth, and you're not going to find earth. It can't find it. It's not that good of a telescope. The point is, we're nothing in the expanse of the universe. You understand why, David, I think it's Psalm 8. What is man that thou take, uh, take thought of him? I consider the stars. What, what are we? Why do you even care? God, why? Do you? made the chair. So whose chair would you determine it to be? Who does the chair belong to? The guy who made it. And then the point is, well, who made you? Who made you? Did you make yourself? No. 
I don't know anybody that ever has except for the Lord Jesus. Okay? So if God made us, who do we belong to? The one who made us. That's pretty simple-minded. Well, remember, we're sheep. We need things kind of simple. At least I do. But if God's the one that made you, nobody ever had a visit with his parents and told him, I want to be born in June. I want to have blonde hair and blue, blue eyes. And I want this and this and this and this and this. And mom and dad said, oh, okay, fine. That's never happened. Never. God is the one that made you. And He knew exactly what He was doing when He made you. He knew exactly what He And He did not make a mistake when He made you. He doesn't make mistakes. He knew everything that you would go through in life. He knows it all. He knows everything that you are going to go through in your life. And He's calling you by your name. Come unto Me. I am your shepherd. I will take care of you. I will guide you and lead you. Trust Me. He said, man, that's hard sometimes. It is. It is. But the faith that you have in Christ is the most precious thing that you can have. And it is so sweet to Him when He sees His children walking in faith and by faith. Man, it lifts his heart. It blesses him. Oh, he gets so pleased. It is patently clear that most men and women refuse to acknowledge this fact, that they were made by God. Their deliberate attempts to deny that such a relationship even exists or could exist between a man and his maker demonstrate their abhorrence for admitting that anyone really can claim ownership or authority over them by virtue of bringing them into being. And that's human nature. We want to fight against that very fact that God made us, and therefore I belong to Him. No, I want to belong to me. I will have control. And what does that remind you of? It reminds you of Lucifer. What did he say? I will be like the Most High. I will exalt myself. And God, because He is God, will say to those that insist on hanging on to that, He will say, no, you won't. You will bow your knee to me. Every knee will bow to the King of Kings. But it is our nature to say, nope, nope, nope. I want to be my own authority. I hear a lot of, I've heard this from a lot of Christians. Well, I am my own authority. Or, or no, no, no. I'm sorry. God is my. I'm not. I, I don't have any. I don't bow to any authority in the church. God is my authority. I've heard that. No, that God is not their authority. They are their own authority. Whenever I hear that, with with that kind of an attitude, it's like, well, no, friend, I love you, but not even God is your authority. You are your own authority. You're the only one you want to bow to. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that before several times. And again, in Christ, He demonstrated at Calvary the deep desire of His heart to have men come under His benevolent care. And that's so true. He Himself absorbed the penalty for their perverseness, stating clearly that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So that's one point. God made us. We belong to him. The second, in a second very real and vital sense, I truly belong to him simply because he has bought me again at the incredible price of his own laid down life and shed blood. Therefore, he was entitled to say, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So there remains the moving realization that we have been bought with a price. That we are really not our own as he is well within his rights to lay claim upon our lives. That is so true. I think of uh, the song, 
uh, when I survey the wonders cross, the last line there, love so amazing, so divine, demands my my soul, my life, my all. I've, I've chewed on that. And it's true. Because of His love that He has poured out upon us, He has every right to demand our soul, our life, our all. He bought us with a price. We belong to Him. You belong to Him. He bought you. He paid the penalty that you would have to pay. You would have had to pay if He hadn't. He's redeemed you. You belong to Him. Sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. In comprehending, in, in, I'm not, in considering all that He has done for us and all that He continues to do for us, to guide and lead and protect. Man, and another thing I've thought of, you probably have too, when we get to heaven, it'd be interesting to have revealed to us our life and all the times that God's Spirit, God's angels were there to guide and protect us, to keep us from falling to sin, to keep us from falling into the snares of the devil. That would be fascinating to me. It would probably blow our minds away if, our, if they were opened up, our eyes were opened up to see all what is really taking place in the spirit world and to see His hand, God's hand of protection on you. I think that would be neat to be able to say, I don't know if we're going to get to or not. I don't know. But he sees, God sees everything. He sees the angels that are sitting in this room right now. He sees the demons that are outside. He knows where they are. But because of that, what he does on a continual basis, we belong to him. He is our shepherd. That's what a shepherd does. He cares and watches. The sheep, they're just out there eating grass. You know, they're just wandering around like the cows in my, in my farm growing up. You know, just, They're just out there just living life, eating grass. And, but there's somebody watching over them. There's somebody watching over you. Here's the third point here. It is this last aspect, which is really the third reason why we are under obligation to recognize His ownership of us. He literally lays Himself out for us continually. He is ever interceding for us. He is ever guiding us by His gracious Spirit. He is ever working on our behalf to ensure that we will benefit from His care. In memory, I can still see some of one of the sheep ranches in our district, which was operated by a, a tenant sheepman. He ought never to have been allowed to keep sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. Again and again, they would come and stand at the fence, staring blankly through the woven wire at the green, lush pastures which my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I am sure they would have said, oh, to be set free from this awful owner. This is a picture which has never left my memory. It is a picture of pathetic people the world over who have not known what it is to belong to the good shepherd who suffer instead under sin and Satan. What a picture. That God would give this man, a sheep owner, on this piece of ground where he took care of his sheep and his neighbor right next door did not take care of him thin and weak and sick and they would look over the fence and yet what is the world's perspective you don't want to be over there with those healthy sheep look at these over here they're the ones enjoying are they really but that's what the devil tries to convince us all of isn't it? It's worthwhile. Come over and join us a little bit. 
You're healthy and strong. You'll last a good while over there. No, you won't. What a picture. I've been there. It's not worth it. I've told you before. I've, I've got five years of my life that I wish to God, even to this day, I could take them back. I thank God I don't dwell on that and they've been washed. But still, I have memories that I wish were not there. Trust an old brother here. He says, the Lord is your shepherd. Stay close to Him. Stay in His bosom. Stay right there. He will take good care of you. The, pa- the pasture, the storm might be blowing around. You know, I remember one time we had uh, a few hailstorms come in over in Madras where I grew up there. And, and uh, this didn't happen maybe a couple times the whole years I lived there. It was kind of a freak storm, but golf ball sized hail started coming down. And we were living in a house just down the road from my parents. My, my wife and I were, Joanne and I were. And, but my dad was renting a pasture right across the road from the house we, we were living in. And I could see the cows right there. And here comes this hail. Boom, just ran golf ball sized hail. And these, these poor cows out there. And all, they just turned their back. To the hill. They all got in a group and just turned their back and just kind of hunkered down and they just took a beating. Uh, what else were they going to do? You know? And, uh, but, you know, there they were. That wasn't fun. Storms aren't fun sometimes. And you feel beat up. At least I do sometimes, don't you? Sure, we do. They beat us up. But that doesn't mean the, the grass and the pasture still is it's, it's still green, it's still there. The shepherd, he's my dad. He still cared for him. He went to go see him. How, you know how are they all doing? This was a hard one. How are you doing? See, those 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 promises weren't negated. They didn't get lost, even though there was an intense hailstorm. The grass was still green there. So, man, just think of this picture. It's just for all of us. When we get tempted to think that just stepping over that fence, just maybe just for a little bit, is, eh, maybe it's worthwhile. Think of this illustration. No, the sheep over there are sick and they're dying. They're thin. And their shepherd doesn't care about them. The devil doesn't care about you. Okay, I want to wind us down. I'm just pondering all these things. The, the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. Oh yeah, he talks about a, a distinct mark that he would make on the sheep's ears that would distinguish ownership. Uh, my dad would, he would uh, <clears throat> put a little tattoo and an ear tag in the cow's ears. He had, you know, it was 50 years ago, so it's a little different technology, but he had this little, it was like a big pair of pliers, and he could put little uh, slides in there with a number on it with, with the little needles there, and he'd, he'd rub a bunch of ink on it, and he'd grab their ear, and he'd squeeze them and put that tattoo, but he made a tattoo. Yeah, I know. It's like, ooh, that doesn't sound like fun. And no, they didn't like it. And they'd shake their head and oh boy, you know, they'd get done with get a, get a, you know get a big thing with a ear tag on it, just shove it through and pull it back, and there it is, you know. And this is my dad's calf, you know. Yeah, they'd walk away just. Yeah, it's not fun, and it's not. But you knew who that calf belonged to, and yes, to become. Marked as God's sheep, it takes death 
to self. The only way to get saved, to have life saved, is for us to die. And then God can raise us up from the dead. Beautiful picture we saw just last weekend of the baptism. Beautiful, beautiful picture. That was a glorious moment. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Anyway, to close here, is the most, I got some questions. It is the most serious and sobering thought which should make us search our own hearts and motives and personal relationship to Himself, to, to, to God. Do I really belong to Him? Do I really, here's a good question. Do I really recognize His right to me? Do I respond to His authority and acknowledge His ownership? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under His direction? And do I know rest and repose besides a definite sense of exciting adventure in belonging to Him? If so, then with gratitude, genuine gratitude and exaltation, I can exclaim proudly, just as David did, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm thrilled to belong to Him. For it is thus that I shall flourish and thrive, no matter what life may bring to me. Amen.